This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. I'm your host, Charlie McDermott. Welcome to episode number 199 of the Good Neighbor Podcast. And as we're about to approach a new century here, we are bringing on a real special guest. It's Dr. Michael Collins of Collins Vision. Dr. Collins, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. We are thrilled to have you and uh, obviously eager to learn more, you know, kind of the inside look at Collins Vision. So let's start there. Tell us about all the wonderful things you guys are doing. Absolutely. Um, my business is Collins Vision. We're a, a full service eye care practice. That means we do eye exams, we do glasses, contacts, we treat all eye conditions. Uh, plus, I perform LASIK and cataract surgery. Essentially, when it comes to your vision, we have you covered. I've been in practice since 2004 on my own. I came to the area in 2001 and started with another doctor. We just had a different vision, no pun intended, and how to practice eye care. And uh, so I went out on my own in 2004, so it's about 16 years now, which is, which is really sort of hard to believe. It's gone by so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you said you came down. Uh, where were you? Up north? I was in Kansas City. That was the last year of my fellowship. So. Okay. I originally grew up in um, Virginia in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and then I went on my training journey and uh, ended up in Kansas City, and Kansas City has some of the nicest people in the world, but some of the mm. worst weather in the world, so when I, <laughs> I came down to visit, do an interview here in January, and it was like Siberia and Kansas City, and I came down here, and it was 75 degrees and sunny, and it seemed like a great place to live. You know, I, I give those Midwestern folks a lot of credit. You know, they, they don't get a break. You know, between the tornadoes in the summer, it is blistering hot. In the wintertime, it's like it might as well be Siberia. You nailed it. And fortunately, there's this place called Naples, Florida, Fort Myers that uh, only a few people know about. So some, some people don't know we can actually live here. They think you just vacation here, but uh, you can live here, too. It's nice. Yeah. Oh, can we live? Well, that's great. So tell us a little bit about your journey into the medical world. Well, I, I was a pre-med student at the University of Virginia, and I thought I wanted to go into medicine. My grandfather was an internist. I was more interested in doing some sort of surgical subspecialty, but wasn't positive You know, I, w I would go into medicine. Things worked out. My pre-med classes, I did better than expected. And I uh, got into medical school, took a year off before I went to medical school, had a great year. Just, uh, backpacking through Europe with one of my best friends and working as at a restaurant and delivering auto parts, uh, working as a substitute teacher, a lot of good experience before I went to medical school. And then I did my four years at Vanderbilt for that. And then after that, I did an internship back at the University of Virginia, and then a residency at Emory um, in Atlanta, which was a, a great place to do an eye surgery residency. And after that, uh, to the Kansas City that we talked about, and then I landed here. Wow. So... It was in your blood, it sounds like, you know, uh, some form of medicine, you know, probably from an early age. Is that pretty accurate? I think so. I always really looked up to my grandfather. And uh, although I knew I wanted to do something more surgical, I just thought medicine was, was a great, you know, a great way to serve your community, great way to, mm. you know, to make a living. And, um, you know, he's just one of the nicest, most giving people I, I met. And, so many people really respected him. I just really looked up to him. Yeah, yeah that's a great way of putting it. I mean, serving the community and serving your fellow man and, and uh, 
you're right. It must be a wonderful, wonderful way to make a living because you're, you're changing lives, especially when it comes to our vision. I mean, my goodness, I can't imagine life uh, without eyesight. So, uh, uh, I'm a little bit biased, I, so I certainly agree. And that, that's kind of how I chose the field of ophthalmology. When I was in medical school, I, I shadowed a hand surgeon, an ENT surgeon, a plastic surgeon. Um, but then when I shadowed an ophthalmologist and I saw him do a corneal transplant on someone who hadn't seen much of anything for years because of a chemical burn, the next day you could see his grandchildren for the first time. Everyone in the room was crying. I was crying. I'm like, wow, you know, this is, this is pretty deep. And uh, this is something I really want to do if I, if I have the ability to do it. Wow. What a moment that must have been. It was, so, yeah. How about a um, myths? I mean, what do you what do you hear maybe in the office or just outside the community in general when it comes to your line of work? Are there any myths out there? Um, you know, the, the old wives tales, you know, if you read too much, you know, you make your eyes tired. I mean, I think your brain gets tired. <laughs> Not so much. Your eyes. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it may make you a little bit more nearsighted. We do know that, you know, the more you read, especially when you're younger, if, if you read a lot, that's, so that's, that huh. part's not a myth. Um, okay. So we're having, you know, there are more nearsighted people now than say a hundred, 200 years ago, because we do so much more reading. Interesting. Interesting. How about the whole, uh, LASIK side? Yeah. There are a lot of myths about LASIK. I could go on for hours about that. Um, <laughs> You know, so many things that are out there, you know, you have to be real careful of Dr. Google. Um, you know, yeah, that's great. I've never heard that before. I love that. You know, you have to be able to sift through those things. I get asked questions by patients and friends all the time. Um, huh. If you look at this, the real studies, you know, LASIK surgery is actually safer than wearing contact lenses because, you, you know, with contacts, you can have cause damage to the eye by having a foreign body in your eye. You're more likely to have a sight-threatening uh, problem like a corneal ulcer or infection, especially if you sleep in your contacts. So uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Mm. Mm. Love it. And again, you know, from I, I've not had the surgery so far, but as you can see, I'm holding glasses, so sure. I am probably a real good candidate. Um, but again, another just life-changing uh Procedure. Yeah, when I had my LASIK done, it was one of the best things I ever did for myself. I've done it yeah. on, on my mother. I've done it on um, multiple family members. Um, now, now I'm starting to do cataract surgery on. I did cataract surgery on my mother too. So come, coming full circle. You know, about 18 years ago, I did her LASIK, and then you know, I did her cataract surgery a few years ago. And now cataract surgery has become a form of refractive surgery. It's, it's sort of neat because I did a refractive surgery fellowship. Um, you know, where I did advanced cataract surgery, but there was no such thing as refractive cataract surgery when I came out. The measurements we took weren't that great. The surgery wasn't as precise. And now we do something called refractive cataract surgery, and we get patients out of glasses at, at, the, at the time of the cataract surgery. So I have patients that come in all the time that I did surgery on their spouse or their friend, and they can see distance mid-range and up close after the cataract surgery. And they say they can't wait to have the cataracts, which is a, which is a real paradigm shift. Oh my goodness! And now that you say that, uh, Barb's my my wife's uh, mother went through that a couple years ago in in Pennsylvania. She she went in for cataract and she, she cataracts and she came out saying the same thing. She's seeing things and details that she's never even dreamt of seeing <laughs> you know, for decades. How about that? 
you know, a lot of people don't realize what they're missing. It's sort of like having, I, I compared to having two dirty windows, they get a little bit dirtier every day. Yeah. And when you finally clean one off, you know, you're amazed at what you see. People think, oh, I wouldn't have painted my house that color. I wouldn't have bought that, you know, pair of pants or the, that dress. Oh. And uh, now sometimes I talk about wrinkles that they have after the cataract surgery. They say, did you give me these wrinkles? And I have to, you know, I say, no, those were, those were there before. You just, you just couldn't see them. So uh, you get to see everything else really nice. But unfortunately, you get to see all every every little detail. Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. So, Dr. Collins, obviously you stay super busy. But in those free moments uh, outside the office, what are you doing for fun? Uh, for fun, my, my favorite thing is fishing. That's one of the things that brought me to the Southwest Florida. I I wanted to live in the Keys. That's where my grandparents had a place. I really love saltwater fly fishing. That's one of my biggest passions. And living in the Keys, having a practice in the Keys would be quite difficult. So when I learned about Southwest Florida and the tarpon, snook, and redfish in the area, um, I knew it would be a good place for me. So when I did have my free time, I could pursue one of my passions. All right, so your your best fish story, what is it? My best fish story, well, I've been very <laughs> lucky. I, I grew up fishing in the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, but I had the opportunity to fish in the Keys with my grandfather, and he started going on destination fly fishing um, trips way before it was in vogue like it is now with some fly fishermen. So I've had the opportunity to fish, you know, in Central America, South America, Russia, um, but one of my favorite places to fish ever was in the Seychelles. I just got back, well, I guess it was a few months ago now before the pandemic. I went to the Seychelles. I brought my daughter there to go fly fishing. And the fly fishing there is incredible. It's, it's what I consider um, it brings it all together as far as you get to see the fish. Usually you're waiting. Uh, so it's sight fishing and you see, you see the fish, you make the presentation, you try to entice them into eating the fly. And then when you hook those fish, those, you know, these fish are you know, the monster, some of them, especially the giant trevally out there. That's the, uh, probably the best story I have for you. Um, actually, I wasn't waiting that time, but I was in the, in the boat and the tide was rushing. Tide was coming in and we could see this big GT, this big giant trevally laid up sort of like a big tarpon. And the guides, like, you're going to get um, one cast at that fish, you know, because we're going to be moving by so quickly. So uh, I was, I was, thankfully I was ready. I put the fly in a good spot in this one meter plus giant trevally rushed the fly and the, the fight was on. It was an epic battle. It was, um, it's a fish of a lifetime. So um, very, very proud of that. Very proud of that. A meter long. Yeah. That's a big fish. Jeez. Yeah. That's a, that's a lifetime GT giant trevally. If you can get a meter plus, it was 115 centimeters. So the guy, the guy was just as excited as I was. I, when I fish around here, I like I have a boat. I like to pull around, and I love to bring my friends out. And I, I, I get to act as the guide, you know. And I, so I understand how fun it is to be the guide as well. It's just as fun when you're pulling the boat and trying to get your friends on the fish as it is catching the fish. Wow, wow, that's great. How about from a hardship standpoint, Doctor Collins? You've been through a lot. Obviously, it could be business, personal. Looking back now. What comes to mind is something that, you know, you're better for, you're stronger for? Really two things. Um, you know, I start off when I, when I started my practice, I went out on my own and um, I had a house out in Gateway and then I bought a house in Hendry Creek. I always wanted to be on the water. So this opportunity came up mm -hmm. 
And then Hurricane Charlie came through and took the roof off my new house. Unfortunately, part of the roof off my new house. Every time it rained, it would come in. I had to get up on the roof with staple gun and plastic suits. That was not the smartest thing I've ever done, but it, you know, prevented the rain coming in every time it, you know, every time it would come by. And uh, I remember my dad, my late dad saying, wow, son, you know, I'm so proud of you. You have two houses. You have no job. You know, you, you're doing great. So, but, uh, you know, it came together. We were able to sell the house out in Gateway, you know, and then started the practice. And that was um, really a, a labor of love. You know, to make ends meet, I used to go up to Sebring on Fridays, drive up, get up at, you know, 430 in the morning and drive up there, work in a practice, the uh, to make the money to pay my staff back in, you know, in Fort Myers as we started growing and then, you know, in our satellite in Naples. And um, so, you know, we went from three people to five people to eight. And um, now we're up to mm-hmm. around 35, you know, staff members here and about 30 or so over at the surgery center. So it's, uh, that's, um, yeah. it, took, it took, you know, a lot of, a lot of effort, but, you know, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, taking on the challenge, taking on the debt, uh, taking you know that risk. But uh, you know, I, I had a vision um, that you know how I wanted to practice, and I just followed that vision. And you know, I just just I was going to work hard yeah. enough to make it work. So that's uh, you know yeah. a long term thing. You know, short term, I would say that with this pandemic, it was really challenging. You know, going through, and our, our practice really came together. It was uncharted territories. We didn't know. How to keep our you know patients safe? How to keep our staff safe? You know my thing that was you know most important to me was keeping my staff safe and keeping my, the patients safe at the same time. We worked our way through that. You know our management was fantastic, and um, you know it's worked out really well. Now we're becoming more and more busy. With you know we're actually busier than normal for this time of year. I think the patients feel very comfortable coming to our office because we've been so open with all the safety measures that we that we take um, both here and at the surgery center. I have a lot of patients that don't want to go to the grocery store, but they feel safe coming to see us because of the mentors that we're taking. So that's, that's been a, you know, quite a challenge, but um, we're, we're making our way through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's so inspiring what you shared and, and, you know, to go back when you first opened, uh, you know, the, the logical person would look at that and say, what are you doing? Right. You know, uh, the easy path is over here. And you're like, no, 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 no. You know, I'm, I'm driven to do this. And the risk you take on the workload, you know, when, when, when you think about it, it's almost madness, but you knew you saw where this was all going to lead. And, and certainly, uh, you know, now it's easy for anyone to look back and say, as I, as we talk about with many entrepreneurs, you know, Dr. Collins was lucky, right time, you know, you know all this, and and um, you still are risking everything every single day. You know, COVID comes around and knocks us on the side of the head, and and all that hard work is then jeopardized. And uh, you, yeah, you got to take care of your your team members and your patients, and you know, thrilled to hear that you've been able to uh, navigate through that and and make your place such a wonderful place that the community feels more than comfortable coming in. So that's awesome. Yeah, we feel very fortunate. Um, you know, we, we, we work with the United Way uh, on, on a regular basis. I'm on the board at the United Way, and because things have been going well, we decided to, to do a campaign where we're giving a percentage of our LASIK 
surgeries and our refractive cataract surgeries um, to the United Way because the United Way just touches so many people in this community. Um, it's been, that's been one of my favorite things to be involved with in, the, in this area. Um, just because they do wow. touch so many people and help so many people and so many people need help right now. So uh, our, our staff has always been really involved in that as well. I'm always, it always warms my heart to see how much, you know, they will do for the, for the United Way as well. When we do matching goals, those types of things. You know, giving back is one of the things that, you know, people don't realize how much you get just by giving. Uh, yeah, yeah. You always get more than, than, than you think. And I'm glad you brought up the United Way, you know, these these nonprofits that do so much. I mean, talk about good neighbors, right? United Way does so much for communities, my goodness, all over, uh, not just in our area, but big. I mean, how have they been impacted, right? You know, their events, many of the things that they do on a weekly, monthly basis are now, you know, gone. Uh, and uh, so they need help more than ever. So, again, uh, kudos to you for reaching out and, and um, being a part of their future, right? Thank you, yeah, so much. And, and another thing more, well, our United Way chapter is local, but another local organization that I'm involved with is Captains for Clean Water. I got involved with that, obviously, because of my fishing. And I saw mm-hmm. you know, firsthand the, the, the damage done by the Lake Okeechobee discharges and how the mismanagement of that, that water really wiped out seagrass beds and oyster beds right behind my house. And because um, wow. you know I live over in the Punta Rosa area now, and uh, I really want to get you no. Know, when I saw that happen, I knew I had to do something, and I, I heard about Captains for Clean Water and got involved, and they um, asked me to be on their board. So that's been another labor of, labor of love, labor of love, and um, that's you know, they. It's amazing what an impact water has here in Southwest Florida. You know, people think about the fishing and the boating. But it's really our entire economy is, is based on the quality of, of our water. You know, without having um, beautiful water, people aren't going to vacation here. People aren't going to want to live here. So it's 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 the more I get involved, the more I learn. Um, you know how special interests can um, you know have an effect on you know the, the entire community, both you know really all of South Florida. You know we have discharges through the Caloosahatchee on the West Coast, but also the St. Lucie on the East Coast, and then go down to the Everglades, they don't get enough water. So it's a simple solution. We just need to send the water south and stop the discharges. And the money's been there for for years, but the politics always get in the way and the special interests always get in the way. And uh, so that's um, another thing that's, you know, that people in my practice have also become involved with something near and dear to my heart. So are we making a headway there, do you think? We've made a lot of headway in the last few years, but we have to keep the momentum going. You know, we had those discharges, you know, a few years ago that in the red tides um, that were you know, being fed by these discharges. Um, and red tides are natural, but it's not natural to have all, you know, the discharge mm-hmm. from Lake Okeechobee with all the, you know, the nutrients being flushed out and then the red tides just blow up. It's like throwing gas on a fire and, um, you know, and the, the, the blue-green algae that's been released, and we know that's in Lake Okeechobee now, so we don't want, you know, the lake needs to be kept a little bit lower so that we don't have to have these massive discharges when we have a storm or, or, or too much too much rain. So we've done a good job of that. The South uh, Florida Water Management District is doing a much better job at regulating that, you know, and they help, um, you know, guide the Army Corps of Engineers. So we've, got, we've made a lot of headway. We've started on some reservoirs, both south of the lake and, and west of the lake. 
Uh, those, those, those are the things we need to do. We need to clean the water before we send it south into the Everglades. And that's where it needs to go. That's where that's the, its natural path. So we, we, we have made progress, but we have, still have a long ways to go. And just because we've had nice water for the last couple of years, you know, we can't keep our, yeah. we need to keep our eye on the ball, you know, keep the momentum going. Again, thank you for sharing that. Who'd have thought we'd get into the United Way and uh, captains for clean water? And that that's such an important message and it's something that, you know, I, I keep an ear to. We actually live right on the water here at Fort Myers Beach. And my goodness, uh, we woke up one morning. What was that? Red Tide was two summers ago. And you could have walked across the bay just stepping on dead fish without getting your feet wet. I mean, it was just devastating and um but we it's interesting because we've noticed a, a definite uh, improvement in the water since then so that's that's great to hear all right so i hate to go back to colin's vision but i guess uh, you have work to do so um, one thing not that i hate to go back i enjoyed that conversation as well uh one thing that you wish our listeners knew about your company what would that be i think what makes us really unique in this area is that we're very patient focused one of my mentors uh, told me, you know, you always put the patients first, the staff second, and everything else takes care of itself. So uh, we, you know, we, we've always done that. Um, the management, you know, buys into that and they, they live that as well. And so we're, we're, we really make sure the patients have the very best experience possible. We make sure we have the best technology available to get the best results for every single patient. We try to do it in a warm and caring environment. Obviously, it's a little bit different now. We're wearing the masks, but now we're all wearing buttons that have like, our faces on them. We do little things that you know, lighten, lighten it up a little bit, but uh, we're very patient-centric, and that just leads to you know, happy patients, which leads to um, you know, good outcomes and patients being you know, referred by, by you know, word of mouth. So that's, that's our goal is to treat every patient like they're a family member and uh, make sure they have the best experience possible. Terrific. And I know our listeners want to learn more. So where should we send them? I guess our website would probably be the best place to go, collinsvision.com. You can learn more about us, learn more about what we focus on. Focus on. Uh, you know, we do, we do comprehensive eye care. Uh, personally, I focus on you know, cataract surgery, refractive cataract surgery, LASIK surgery. Um, those are the big things. We have the best technology you know, available to do those things to help, you know, transform lives and help people see better and enjoy their lives. Wonderful. Dr. Collins, if I can use as you know, this was coming and this has been an eye-opening interview. Talk about being a good neighbor, the wonderful things you do, not only with your company, but outside of that. Uh, so thank you once again for being a good neighbor and joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast. To nominate your favorite local business to be featured on the show, go to goodneighborpodcast.com. That's goodneighborpodcast.com. Or call us at 239-224-4105.